Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. How's it going for you? How's your Monday been? It's been good. Yeah, it's been a good Monday, actually. Um, I think I mentioned previously that we started doing twice a week, uh, like all hands calls. Well, all hands yeah, is in right. all, all three of us. <laughs> um, that's been good. It's been reinvigorating. It's There's this sense of camaraderie that I think is building. And um, yeah, just... It's, it's nice to, we're doing them on Mondays and Thursdays, and it's nice, I think, to start the week off with that. Um, and then we've got, you know, Thursday to follow up on things. But yeah, so far, so good. So yeah, it's a fun cadence. It's, uh, it's pretty high touch, but I assume those are like the only other meetings you really have like during the week, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice then just to bash those together. That's cool. That's fun. Yeah, I kind of had a realization this morning. It it feels like having working with two other people full time on JetBoost now. It's like three feels like a company versus when it's just uh, you know myself and Noah full time, and then a couple of their contractors on and off. Like I don't know, it just didn't it didn't feel the same. Um, I don't know if anyone else has had that experience before, but. To me now, it feels like three is the the magic threshold number to be mm. like, wow, this is like really a yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think like communication wise too, it's probably like a very different dynamic. I think there was some sort of article or thing or theory a while back that was like talking about like the digital um, communication network. And it was like basically like the square of how mm. many people on your team is like the number of lines of communication and so that like, grows exponentially, right? So it's like, right. you know, with one person, it's just you with two people. Uh, there's still only like one, one line of communication. But then like once you get to three, now it's like, you know, three times three. And so there's nine like different lines. And then you get to four and there's 16 and to five and there's 25. And then like you get up to 10, now there's like a hundred different sort of lines where people can communicate and um, gets... Uh, so yeah, I can imagine like this step from two to three actually being like one of those kind of big thresholds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> right. It's like, I don't know anything past 10 sounds, <laughs> then, then it starts to get sounds ridiculous. Right. <laughs> right. Imagine 500, oh, 5,000, the like, leaf blower. It's crazy. <laughs> it's all good. One, one of those days. That's cool though. Yeah. It's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, and we uh, we also kind of celebrated because we pushed out a big update last week on Friday. Um, so I tweeted about this. It it was the single largest code change not committed by myself. Um, so Corey did a bunch of work around just uh, getting rid of a, a large amount of tech debt that we've had uh, accumulate, and I just haven't had time to work on. Uh, so he basically brought a number of technologies that we use up to date and refactored a bunch of things and uh, just really improved the code base consistency overall. 
which was awesome. The challenging part of it was that uh, for this, this was only for the JetBoost uh, front end application, but for that application, basically meant he pretty much touched almost everything uh, and we had to retest everything. So that was about a two week effort. Uh, we released that on Friday no issues whatsoever so far so really really successful brave shipping on a friday especially a big, big <laughs> update like that i love it though i was actually going to ask you know like what does it mean to like how do you keep track of what you're how do you know if you're actually removing the tech debt um but it sounds like you sort of already had like a list uh do you normally like it's kind of a dumb question for someone who's not technical or not a programmer to like, do you keep a list of like, okay, here's all the like things are kind of like accumulating that we need to get back to later. Like the upgrades or the things that need to be refactored or things that you know are sort of like suboptimal. Probably should keep that list. Uh, I am the worst about documenting, keeping track of anything. <laughs> uh, so Yes, in my head, there are some uh, thoughts and ideas around areas that, that could be a little, uh, or could be good targets for uh, improving. But do I keep a list of that? No. Which not, is not, actually... Not a wrong question. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just wondering sort of yeah. what it's like. No, it, it, it's a really good question. Um yeah, I, I had this thought last week that's kind of related to this. Uh, this is kind of crazy. I realized like JetBoost is almost two years old. Uh, I started working on it in September of 2019 and it's almost September of 2021. And crazy. Yeah. And yeah, I'm still in a lot of ways running it or thinking about it as if it was in like the first few months still. Uh, and so things like exactly that, like not like keeping everything in my head and not documenting it. Um, that's obviously becoming more and more of a problem as more people are working on it. And, uh, even just, uh, the, the experience of Corey making these very large core changes, uh, it uncovered a lot of flaws in the development process right now for JetBoost. Uh, and a lot of things that I've just put up with either because as a solo developer working on it, it didn't really affect me that much. Or, uh, you know, it's just like I sort of got into a pattern of this is how things are done and maybe it's not totally optimal, um, but it's good enough for me. And you know, and this wasn't any criticism from, from him or anything, but it's just like me realizing, oh, he's facing a bunch of roadblocks that, that shouldn't exist. Like we should have a proper staging environment. Uh, we should push things to staging, test them there, um, give Noah access to, to be able to test things out there. And then it should go to production. Um, sort of basic, right, right. like professional software development, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> environment, uh, that just hasn't existed yet. Uh, and, and so that's actually something that I'm working on, uh, improving now. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's an interesting balance between like just in time 
stuff, you know, just in time learning, just in time processes, just in time documentation. And like, you know, the, this is like, should have been done a long time ago. I don't know like what the answer is for something like that, because if it works and it works and if you didn't really have like a dire need or if it doesn't like really set you back far now, then it feels like it's one of those just in time things, but only you can tell. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think just realizing that it needs to happen now and then making the changes is probably good enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to beat yourself up over not having something in place when it just wasn't as relevant previously. Yeah, right. Can't be too hard on yourself. Just uh, <laughs> baby steps one step at a time. <laughs> Small things. Yeah. It's all, I feel like it's almost a badge of honor a little bit like, yeah, that's right. Two years in, still using the local dev, you know, <laughs> no staging. We don't need that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's funny, man. I, I Sometimes I'll go back and read my old monthly updates just to like, especially if I'm feeling like things are moving slow or, you know, whatever. Sometimes it's helpful to go back and, and see some of those. And in July, when I was kind of feeling down about things, I, I went and read my uh, July update from the year before. And I had just implemented the ability for users to change their password. So I was like, <laughs> all right, we've come a long way in a, in a year uh, where, where previously we're just giving people the ability to change their password. So right. no, can't that, feel so great. bad. Yeah. No, but I, I think it's great because... You know, you're you're following all the the rules of like, only have the essentials. Be ruthless about prioritization. You know, worry about that stuff until people ask for it. Like you you don't want to over engineer anything. And so, um, I like it. I think it's it's a sign that you're thinking about things the correct way. If you're leaving that kind of stuff to the last minute, you know, where you now you you finally have a need for it. You know, mm -hmm. it's not until Corey Gwynn comes on board and really sort of kick things into gear where you think, okay, now it's time to do those. Whereas before really wasn't necessary. Sure. You would have saved your time yourself the time now, but you would have spent that time earlier. And so it doesn't really feel like there's any, anything lost by doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. It's definitely probably a weird feeling though. Like finally <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to be in the, in the place of like, you know, three years later and people have, have asked for it. A million times and then you just release the ability for people to change their password you know like <laughs> can't be can't be too late on it you can't like forget things but at the same time you can push it off as as long as you can right and i think too it depends on your growth rate uh because for the first say six months of jet boost like it was growing very very slowly and so you know, whether I was focused on things like improving the onboarding, improving activation, uh, or just trying to uncover what exactly people were looking for and, and building that. Um, yeah, it wasn't like, wasn't like there was so much inbound where there's, you know, 20 requests a day of how do I change my password or, uh, you know, some of the larger customers that we have today weren't signing up a year ago and, you know, may have been more turned off then by the lack of, uh, 
standard features and you know seeming like more of like a hobby app than a than a professional software app right right yeah yeah that yeah. makes sense but uh it's fun I'm, i mean i still feel the same way about some things with swipe files as well still feeling like i'm still in the first few months or still trying to find my way um and or just now implementing things that feel like you know they're basic uh or this should have been a thing a long time ago but it's also probably just the reality of bootstrapping and being an indie right. hacker and not having a million people working on something at the same time where you can make that kind of parallel progress. If it's all on you, then, you know, you can only move so fast. You can only do so much at a time. So true. What's like an example of something you've been th thinking about for swipe files? It's like, that. um, one of, yeah, one of the things I feel like I should have done a long time ago was just doing like a monthly, um, kind of like survey to members and I keep putting it off and I've had this note to start doing it since like April, uh, of basically asking members, um, Hey, like what's something that you, what's been like a win for the last month? What's something that you learned in the last month? Um, what's like a big, are there any like big career updates? You know, did people change jobs, get raises, mm -hmm. promotions, you know, whatever it is. Um, asking if there's any like piece of content that people want covered, if they have questions they need answered. Uh, and basically she's doing like a monthly survey like that. And then I can sort of like package it up and send it out to send out like the learnings anonymously to the rest of the members. But then I also have that for myself. Um, and that's something that regardless, I want to get out the door, but I've been putting off forever. And maybe, you know, that's one of those things that, like fits in the category of like, <laughs> it's too late. Like I need to like get on this sooner than like, there really is no, like just in time, like just in time was four months ago. So, <laughs> um, there's no excuse there. Yeah. No, I like that a lot though. That would be super cool to have. Yeah. A couple other community members kind of passed that off to me as a tip or community uh, managers. And, um, mm. ever since then it's been on the list, but like, there's a little bit of like technical, difficulty of just like trying to figure out the best way to deliver that and capture it. And then now I reform, I need to set up with convert kit and automations, send things into Google sheets to make it easy to kind of like wrap up and aggregate. And it's just like a, just a large enough of like a thing that it's has like some unknowns that I need to uncover before I like make it happen. That it blocks me from like really just getting it done, but I just need to sit down and tackle it one of these days. So, but, but this would be for like the swipe file members like that are in circle, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't integrate easily with an email tool. No, I mean it, it does like the actual sending it's more, um, and like caption information with reform would be really easy. It's more just, um, actually like summarizing and, kind of mm. curating the responses to highlight, to send back to the members that would be time consuming and, or like any, like a process for a little bit. So I'm not sure if I want to like involve my VA for it. If I want to do it myself, um, you know, how long it should be. If I have like a, a template that I create within ConvertKit that I can like feed it into pretty easily or not. Um, but yeah, I just haven't like, it's mainly like the aggregating curating part. That's kind of like the blocker. Okay. 
but again, probably overthinking it. Like it's probably not that complicated. I just, <laughs> those are like the, that's the boogeyman <laughs> the closet. The thing that I've been yeah. thinking about. Yeah. It's, I'm almost hesitating because I don't want to give the obvious advice of like, well, don't worry about that right now and just do the simplest thing possible. Just ship it. But I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm definitely shipping like, it this I month know you know in that. August. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's coming. Um, so this time it's definitely going to get shipped. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. once I see it, I'll respond. I love it. Yeah. That'll be fun. Cause it's just, yeah, it's a little bit of a, you know, the email gets outside of the community, reaches people, reactivates people. Also just like an inherently valuable thing. I think that members would like, and you know, it'd be something that can be shared around. And so just need to get it out there, get it done. Yeah. What else is going on? Well, um, I think the, the big thing is maybe just like a discussion point, which I had started with you over Slack a little bit. But uh, it's a note from my creator mastermind. Um, so I had the hot seat this last week, which is really, really valuable. And one of the discussion points for me that sort of like ended up here after me bringing up a lot of other things that are sort of related, but I think that like um, uh, they all like everyone seemed to be kind of like in consensus of like having the same question for me, uh, which is around like the, the swipe files positioning and targeting and like who it specifically caters to. And, um, it's funny because I was thinking, I was like, ah, oh, dang it. Here's like another big, like existential question that I'm asking myself. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, it, did, did you ever read the, um, the article about heat and Shaw and the heat and bombs that he would drop or it was basically like, you know, he like drops an idea on someone and they go and like, they think that like, oh, we have to go fix this thing right now or like go do this thing. And so it like distracts the whole team and then like, everyone kind of like is constantly shifting um, priorities. Did you ever read that? No. Okay. I've, I've... Go ahead. Yeah. I'll have to I'll have to find a, a link to it. I think you wrote an article on it, um, but it was really good. Or he, he was basically talking about like, this is like a flaw that I noticed in myself where I didn't know I was doing it, but this was really like holding back the team because I'd always keep dropping these bombs of like, he would just drop an idea on someone's lap and just be like, you know, wanting like a sounding board, like, what do you think? And then people would be like receiving that as like an order, basically like, Oh, I need to go do this thing now. Um, or like, this is the way things are now. And, um, so anyways, I was like, I keep dro dropping these Cory bombs on myself, <laughs> you know, all these like big things trying to like pivot or change or how about we do things this way, whether it's, virtual summits versus workshops, or if it's podcasts or, you know, community stuff, whatever it is. Um, but anyways, the big, uh, kind of Corey bomb from the, the creator mastermind was around is swipe files marketing for everyone, or should it be B2B SaaS marketing or really just like SaaS marketing in general? Um, because people know me as the SaaS marketing guy. That's where I'm, all of my experience has been. That's where I have the most like ex expertise, sort of like knowledge and opinions. And also what was pointed out to me was that a lot of the members already are in SaaS to one degree or another, whether they like are agency or freelancers that work with SaaS people, or if they're in-house marketers working for SaaS or if they're founders of SaaS. Um, Cause those are like the three buckets that I've generally put people in is like, well, we have founders, we have marketers, we have, agency freelancer people, but like most of them 
are in SAS to one degree or another. Um, and I don't feel like I'm necessarily serving that the best, like the content that I create isn't specifically catered towards SAS people. And like maybe swipe house could be more valuable and even, um, justify a higher price point that could get me to my goals faster if it was focused on SAS. And so they're kind of like, why don't you do instead of a thousand true fans trying to cater, deliver everything to everyone, why don't you do a hundred true fans, higher price point for people in SAS, SAS marketing. And, uh, so trying to be as objective as possible to really consider that possibility. But that's been like the thing top of mind for the last five days or however long it's been. It's just like, what does that mean? Is it the right path? Pros and cons asking around trying to get a feel for what that would be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious because you flat out said your expertise is in SaaS marketing. Most of the current members are in some degree in SaaS marketing. I guess what's, so what's keeping you, uh, what's making you want to keep it broad? Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, this has happened to me a couple times with swipe files where because it's sort of like changed and evolved a couple times for like what it is and also my ideas for what I want to do with it then maybe like I sort of like get mixed up in myself and maybe a little bit lost. Um, and so like the original thought for the community was, well, I need, I want people to get outside of their echo chamber. And if it's just a bunch of SAS people, then like who's going to really push each other to be better. Um, but I also just didn't want to only talk about SAS marketing because my interests are broader. And I felt like there was a lot to be talked about with how do you take ideas from different industries? But I think maybe what I'm realizing now is that that's not necessarily either of those assumptions are really the case. One, I can talk about a lot of other types of marketing in context of how do we take these learnings and apply it to SaaS. So it doesn't really like narrow the scope of my interests in the content that I create. It's more just like who is this for and how is this applied? Um, mm -hmm. What are like the takeaways from this, these things? And also that... Um, with that, uh, I think that it's a nice idea to have like a lot of people from different industry industries, all kind of like in the same place sharing ideas, but it's not as easy in practice. And like I said, most members so far have been SAS and, uh, it might've been a different story if my experience had been different. Like if I didn't come from the SAS world and I came from e-commerce or I came, but like, Either way, someone starts from somewhere and it's really hard to have like, uh, I guess like equally distributed diversity, you know, like there's always going to be some sort of like majority industry or like, these are the people who it most caters to. And, um, so I think I might've been like stepping on my own toes, uh, or stepping on my own feet as the saying goes, like procrastinating over-engineering some of the content I want to create by trying to make it more broadly appealing when I could just focus on SAS and then like really be prolific with the content content that I create because there isn't as much like dancing around trying to make it more broadly appealing and talk about all the takeaways for different people in different industries if that makes sense yeah totally I mean I, th I think you 
said it perfectly. Like you can still keep the, like the, the inbound, I guess, broad. So like everything is marketing. You can still talk to a very diverse, wide array of people with different backgrounds and, you know, not necessarily all working in SaaS marketing, but then you as the expert can distill the lessons that you learn from them down into how does this apply to SaaS marketing specifically? Right. Right. I think that's super valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Every day I sort of get a little bit closer, like warmed up to that idea. It just feels like, yeah. One of the things I, I, I said, I didn't even like really mean to say it when I said it, but you know, people were sort of very gently, very kindly poking and prodding me and, and interrogating me about sort of my thinking on this, uh, mm. as they should. And what was the whole point of the mastermind. And I sort of let it blurt out. It's like, yeah, some like part of me feels like I should have just started with SaaS marketing. And then like by now I would have already been at my goal and I've sort of just like, you know, I could have knocked that out of the park, but I didn't. And then they were like, okay, well, it's not too late. <laughs> like you can always like <laughs> just switch and like focus on doing that now. And I was like, dang it. Why are you people always right? So I was kind of thinking like, yeah, and there's no way to know. Right. There's no way. Like I'm, who knows if I would have gotten myself here. It's just always, there's a weird, like the theme of the last mastermind was that, um, some way or another, uh, what you end up doing, regardless of how successful it is, ends up not being like the the thing that you ultimately would like to be doing. Like it has, always ends up being like a little bit different. Um, like your thing that pays the bills doesn't check all the boxes for the content you want to create, like your ultimate vision of what you want it to be. But instead of like trying to make this thing live up to be this imaginary thing that you want it to like, just let it be what it is sort of what, what they were saying. I think what is ultimately true, like don't try to make this thing something that it isn't just let it be what it is. And like really embrace that. And I think that maybe just maybe I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent comfortable, like really putting a, a pin on it quite yet, but maybe what swipe house has always been trying to be is a SaaS marketing community instead of courses and materials and resources. Wait, did you say instead of courses and materials? No, no, no. And so yeah, SaaS marketing courses, materials, resources, Mm -hmm. um, instead of more broadly, you know, it's sort of Mm -hmm. been like, I've been trying to get it to like stretch and it's just like not stretching, you know, It, it wants to be SaaS marketing. So that's that's the Corey bomb I'm, I'm wrestling with that I dropped to myself. Um, again, I, I think the focus has been product market fit for this whole like membership site stuff, digital product, which is like pretty tough. It's really maybe I could have been more intentional about treating it like a tech startup and really thinking about user research and stuff like that from the beginning. I think I maybe underestimated the value of that and or like the practice of it. Um, hmm. But like in this theme, I'm like, okay, I just want to find like, what's the winning formula? What's the thing that I can really be proud of that I can deliver on? And I think that the, I'm getting closer. <laughs> if not, like, if not, I'm maybe not at it quite yet, but like a little bit closer every week. Yeah. Yeah. You said something interesting. I just pulled it up in, in Slack uh, about how in the mastermind you guys were saying, 
for one reason or another, we resist being the person that everyone sees us as. Right. Yeah. I thought that was, uh, that, that made me think as well. Yeah. There's a, I mean, I'm pretty sure every single person in the mastermind, uh, I don't think they would mind me sort of like calling out some of their names, but, um, like Jay Klaus, for example, uh, he's been like sort of like pinned for one reason or another as like a community guy. He's like, I'm way more like, he's like, I'm sick of talking about, talking about community. Like I want to be yeah, like, yeah. you know, I'm podcasting, I'm freelancing. Like he has all this really broad array of interests mm-hmm. and things that he wants to do. He has upside network and he has, you know, investing as well. And, um, Matt Ragland, like he built his sort of like YouTube content and career off of the bullet journal. But like, he's like, I'm sick of talking about the bullet journal. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there's only so many videos you can make about one like specific technique of journaling. And, um, the, the hard part is knowing like when and how to break out of that, uh, and like when to embrace it because I think for both of them, like it's very like, okay. And right of them to like be more than that. Um, for me, I've been sort of like resisting the idea of like the SaaS marketing guy. And I've mentioned that several times, one place or another, one time or another, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately that's, that's actually like who I am. And so like, I shouldn't like really try to fight that, you know? Um, it's sort of like the opposite. Like they are like pinned for being something really specific. They want to be something bigger, well, no, I guess that's the same for me. SaaS marketing guy, I want to be something bigger, but like, maybe I'm not, maybe I actually don't want to be something more than like the SaaS marketing guy. I'm like more and more okay with, with that thought, like not resisting who other people think I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It also makes me think about, uh, Tyler Tringus when he wrote about selling store mapper and one of the things he said was, I never set out to be the king of store mapping software. Mm. Yeah. But it's like, once you go down a path and, you know, either build something that becomes well-known or become an expert in something, like that's how people start to see you. And obviously he's yeah. very much uh, reinvented how people see him now uh, with, with uh, almost an earnest capital with Calm Fund. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... It's interesting how that happens. Yeah. And there's a bit of like, uh, not like uh, privilege necessarily, but um, it's definitely like a luxury to like really find some freedom and like how you want people to see you and like that have like a broad array of interests. Um, because what it comes down to is like, do you have something that pays the bills unrelated to the thing that you want to be known for quote unquote, like that you're putting out into the world and that you're like exploring publicly, for example, because then you can like that, that thing doesn't need to make money. But if you want the thing that makes you money to be the same as the thing that like you is like your true creative exploration of like, this is who I want people to know me as, and this is what I want to spend all my time doing. That's really hard. You know, that's like a, you have to really like capture lightning in a bottle to find something that checks both of those boxes. And, um, and like I said, like I'm okay with like SaaS marketing, paying the bills and like that also being what people know me for. Um, and I'm not at the place where I like just 
want to talk about anything and everything. And I think about people like Nat Eliason. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but like he had um, uh, Growth Machine. It was all about SEO and he's been like marketing. He's had like a really, he still had a pretty like broad uh, array of interests. And then he stepped away from Growth Machine, uh, like sold some things or like stopped doing some things. And like now it's just all in on crypto and DeFi. And like that's like the one thing that he is like creatively interested in but that's not paying his bills and he's okay with that. Right. So like now he has that ability to be like, this is entirely how I want you to think me of is like the crypto guy. <laughs> and he can do that because it's just entirely intrinsically motivating for him at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do find it interesting that in your manifest destiny blog post, you wrote that you want to, grow a $1 million ARR SaaS, minimum 1 million. But you know, you didn't say e-commerce store or mm, uh, yeah. some other type yeah, of product. Yeah. I know. Right. Because yeah, the, I think that's ultimately it. It's like, I'm, I'm interested in other types of businesses and, and marketing, uh, just kind of studying it. But yeah, truly I think through the lens of like, how does this apply to SaaS and how can I use this for, myself and what I'm interested in, which is SaaS. And that's yeah. like the context that's most interesting to me. Um, yeah, because I'm not, yeah, I'm not motivated to like start one of those things. Um, but I, I think just, that's what yeah. makes you a thought leader in SaaS marketing and, and an expert in SaaS marketing is I think if you were only interested in SaaS marketing, then you'd only be looking at what other SaaS marketers are doing and the strategies that worked maybe five years ago uh mm, that right. that were written about and now don't necessarily apply to today instead you are looking at all these other areas other industries and then asking yourself how can i bring that to SaaS marketing yeah and I, I think that's where new ideas come from that's where you know like i said being a leader comes from uh so yeah, I, I I think you can still have that broad view and and just always bring the focus back to uh, the SaaS marketing side. I think it's cool. I think I'm excited for you. Yeah, I, I think so. I I concur. I agree. It it's, gets a little bit more exciting every day. And I think that's probably the right move. Like I just need, need some time to kind of settle on it a bit, come to terms with myself. Um, but uh, now it's sort of trying to figure out like, okay, like if I do want to make this like not really pivot, but more like focus, you know, niching, like a bit of a change, at least like the way that I position it externally, what does that look like and how? Because I think I also want to make some pricing updates and like overall membership updates to kind of consolidate things into like a single price point. Um, so now it's about trying to figure out how to do that if I were to go down that path and what exactly that looks like. What's the timeline look like? Um, I don't think a lot of things change. It's more just like uh, the style in which I do it or like the way that I communicate it. Um, Cause I still have the same plans for like developing a new course or two and like filling out this content, re-updating the, the course content creating the newsletter content, but now it's all like under the guise of SAS rather than like mm -hmm. making it very broadly applicable. Um, and then like, how do I communicate 
those pricing updates? Do I up the price every month until I reach a certain point or a certain amount of members? Um, so yeah, we'll see. That's kind of like the next thing, <laughs> next thing to work through. <laughs> pricing is always fun. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's, it's the crux, crux of the business, but, um, yeah, yeah. Cross that bridge when we get there soon. I hear you. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention and, uh, and chat about really quick that we didn't get to last week that I think we mentioned we'd get to this week is, uh, one of the updates from Microacquire. So they decided to partner with uh, CapChase and with FounderPath and possibly even PipeNow too. I think maybe I, I missed that announcement or not, but I, he's been tagging them in a lot of stuff to finance the acquisition of a business, um, which is crazy because that basically makes the acquisition process a lot easier, If especially if you're like a... Uh, a non-institutional investor, like you're not a private equity firm or like a strategic, strategic acquirer, like a, you know, big company or unicorn or publicly traded company. Um, did you, what were your initial thoughts when you saw that? Yeah, this is super interesting. I also didn't do my homework and uh, read into it in detail. So I'm curious if you can tell me more. Uh, like how, how does someone qualify to get financing to purchase a SaaS? Do you know? So that's the interesting part is I think that it's mainly based on the business and not necessarily the acquirer. Mm. Um, so uh, for example, for the founder path uh, deal and partnership, um, they will finance acquisitions for startups under a million dollars ARR and you can get up to 75% of your annual recurring revenue. So up to $750,000 um, for no equity. Um, but I believe, you know, there's probably like a lot of like nuances in between that. Like there's probably some sort of clawback. For example, if you miss a certain amount of payments or if you're mm-hmm. delinquent for a certain amount, then like, you know, FounderPath gets ownership of the company probably because I don't, I don't know how else you would really deal with that kind of situation. Um, And of course there has to be some sort of like, uh, that there's gotta be some sort of, you know, if they're financing 75% of the acquisition, then you have to do a check for the other 25% and where that's coming from and how and when, and when that goes to the business. And then I would assume some sort of like due diligence around the founder or the acquirer, whoever that is. Um, But probably not, a ton, you know, I mean, it's difficult because ultimately the, the seller chooses the buyer of the business. And then I think like, it's the final, like, okay, is this buyer qualified to finance it or do they need to get private financing themselves? Uh, but ultimately like that's who the seller chose as the buyer. So I can't imagine that they would want to put too many hoops in there for the for the buyer to jump through in order to, to finance it through something like founder path or cap chase. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is, this is actually an insane innovation because just thinking oh, about mi- micro acquire and how it's open doors for people to acquire SaaS or, or other products much easier and at all sorts of different levels of, um, you know, valuation, 
it, it obviously I haven't done it myself, but I would imagine it's much easier now to dip your toes in and say, buy a a very like low end SaaS, maybe say twenty thousand or or thirty thousand. Um, you know, maybe only doing a few hundred in MRR or something like that. But to just like skip the zero to one phase and get started <laughs> and and learn all these skills that you learn running a, a business and a SaaS business. Uh, now to add f- this founder path financing with that, it's like opening it up to even more people and, and more yeah. opportunities to experiment. Like that's actually, that's really crazy. Oh, it's insane. Cause I, I went through, um, Ryan Culp's, uh, micro acquisitions mm-hmm. course. Um, and he was talking about a lot of like financing strategies, uh, but it, like, it's fairly simple. Like that's, I mean, it's fairly limited, right? You either have to have all the cash yourself, um, which unless you're like a big baller, I mean, you really are only going to have like a couple hundred thousand max probably to work with. Uh, and, Normally, if you have all the cash and like you can maybe do like half upfront is kind of like one of the standard, um, one of the standard deals that basically gives you like, okay, I need half of the acquisition amount in cash right now. And then I can like find the rest later and or like finance it through payments from the business over the next 12 or 24 months. The second option is to find like a, uh, like a equity partner, a silent partner essentially who like buys, um, half or more of the business for you. And then you sort of, you get in place, but they own half of the company, um, or more potentially, you know, depending on how much, how much cash that you need or how much, what the terms are. Uh, or you do something like seller financing where they agree to sell you at a certain valuation, but it's over like monthly installments or annual, you know, biannual installments or whatever it is. And that basically allows you to like, buy the business through the business's profit and cash flow, uh, which is like fantastic. That's what Ryan did, but like those are a dime a dozen and you might also have to sell for, or I guess like buy for a higher price because you're doing seller financing and it's not as ideal for the seller. Mm. Um, but something like this really opens the gates because then you don't have to go find private money, it's like basically impossible to get like a loan like this from a traditional bank or uh, even like a private lender. Um, but now you don't have to give up equity. It's basically like seller side financing, not from the seller. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, it's super, super founder friendly. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. I think one of the, the other interesting kind of implications for something like this is that it makes it a lot more accessible. Um, and it also breeds a lot more competition. And whenever you have those two dynamics, then that ultimately, I think, drives up valuations of businesses. And especially on the higher end. Um, so if you're, for example, I mean, I think that most of these like financing deals are under 1 million ARR. So then once you get over 1 million ARR, then you're now also more valuable because you can't be financed by a founder path or a cap chase. And therefore you need institutional money. And there's, um, you sort of like demand a higher price because not anyone can, can buy you. Uh, but even up to that point, you know, now there's like this 
floor established where it's like, okay, everyone's after these types of companies. Mm-hmm. Now all the private equity and everyone else is going to be after everything else, which kind of like builds like the step up and, um, establishes like a floor for valuations for revenue and just like the overall pool of available startups that people would want to want to acquire. So as someone who eventually wants to build a, a, a SaaS business doing, like you said, over a million dollars a year, that's like fantastic news. So I'm like, great, <laughs> this just makes life easier, hopefully down the road. Totally. It's awesome. But also, yeah, if I was, I think especially if I was a developer and just wanted to like give myself a job while also having equity in a business and like building a business, like this is a hundred percent the route I would go because it's, it's a no brainer to just use some cash and your ability to just like, okay, I'm going to give myself a job and buy a business in the process. A couple mm-hmm. of years you pay it off. You just gave yourself millions of dollars in equity for free, basically. Yeah, it's funny that you said that. I, I was envisioning that you would have a better shot of success if you were a marketer buying one of these companies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, some product that, that was built that was maybe a solo developer who, who wasn't interested in actually marketing it and growing it. But I guess there is still, you, you do need to understand the tech probably. Uh, I mean, I think so. Yeah. Some people might disagree. It's like, oh, it's not that hard to like manage developers, whatever it is. But like, ultimately, if developers quit or if you don't have someone or if they're out on vacation, like whatever it is, if there's like a bad split and you don't know what to do, if the product goes down, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're screwed. And um, I would not feel comfortable putting myself in that situation. And so I think ultimately you have to have at least, you know, some some programming shops to I would want to have those kind of chops to be able to put myself in that sh- in those shoes. Yeah. I watched this, uh, sure. Swift capital webinar on SAS valuations. Oh really yeah. Good. Yeah. I yeah. Seen it yet. Uh, one thing I'll say uh, that they mentioned was, uh, one, one of the flags that causes a lot lower valuations is if the founder is still the one writing the code. Uh, mm. versus having a team in place that that can do the development uh, obviously oh, yeah. as an acquirer yeah. if if you're buying a business and the founder's not coming with then there better be a team in place that, that understands the technology uh, so I, I thought that was right. pretty interesting oh yeah totally i i think it's more of like you know worst case scenario what happens you know like you just want to be able to have some sort of control over a situation like that Obviously Mm -hmm. you'd want to be like delegating and removing yourself as much as possible. And I've always heard that like the ideal, you know, business to buy is one that basically, uh, the founder has been on vacation for, you know, (laughs) a year and a half and like things are running smoothly and the business is still growing. Like that's the ideal situation because then you can, at least from an acquisition standpoint, you feel like you can come in and really make a difference by putting in sweat equity and also being more intentional and deliberate about growth, knowing that things are running well, despite that. Um, so yeah, I right. Agree. Yeah. I've got a, I've got to hand it to Andrew. They're, uh, they're killing it on all sorts of fronts right now. Marketing side on Twitter. He just blew up tech crunch. 
<laughs> and uh, he's running the beef marketing playbook to a T. Yeah. And integrations left and right, hiring left and right. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I've been watching him as well. And I've had this thought that he's like a next level entrepreneur. Uh, he, he just, he, again, from the outside looking in, he seems like just a complete doer. Like set, he sets a course and then yeah. just goes and does it. And that uh, can get you very, very far. And honestly, like I sometimes spend too much time deliberating and weighing options. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, could definitely learn from, uh, the, the tech crunch thing is like a perfect example where he's like, you know, complaining about how tech crunch doesn't write enough about bootstrappers and bootstrappers don't get enough attention. And then like a week later, maybe not even probably a couple of days later, he's like launching a bootstrapper media publication. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. <laughs> and, he's getting, and he's getting blasted by TechCrunch, who is yeah. giving him more exposure. Exactly. And like feeding that fire. Amazing. And uh, further validating the need for bootstrappers.com, which I'll have a note, a note to uh, a link to in the show notes. But um, yeah, that was my impression too. When I interviewed him for everything is marketing with, uh, with Dan, who Andrew and Sean Puri teamed up to basically like micro spec buy and give a business to an entrepreneur, which was Dan, um, Dan Mitchell. And uh, yeah, when we were talking those hundred percent, the, like the vibe I got from him was like, this guy just like gets stuff done <laughs> just ships <laughs> and he's not technical, but the guy just gets stuff done and he delegates. And I mean, I think he mentioned a few times either like pre-recording or during recording, but like the guy just loves to work and just sit down and just crank stuff out. And like, uh, I don't know if that's, you're like born with that or not. I feel like I'm not quite like that. <laughs> although I think I'm like pretty productive, Yeah. but definitely not like, I just love being on my desk all day and love cranking the stuff out. Like, I mean, the results show for themselves, right? They're, right. they're killing it. Yeah. It's cool. Cool. Well, anything else top of mind before we wrap up? Nope. Nothing else for me. Alrighty. Well, we'll have those, uh, links and notes in the show notes and, uh, we'll see you in the next one.